This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. Uh, I'm geeking out a little bit about today's guest because I've been looking to have her on for a long time and, um, and she's finally here. And I'm so excited to interview her, the CEO of Barstool Sports, Erica Ayers. Erica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I got to say, it's a little bit nerve wracking to, you know, be recording a podcast with you. You, you run, uh, you run a company that is known for killer podcasts. So um, <laughs> you're doing great. <laughs> well, you know, I was, I, I had shared with Erica before the show, I was really looking to connect with her because, you know, one of the things that, that I shared with you when we talked, Erica, was that uh, I love that you are leading such a male dominated uh, company. And um, that's a lot of uh, things that I've been dealing with and, and a lot of the struggles that I've dealt with over the last 15 years running a veteran service organization, being a woman, not a veteran, and kind of entering into this new industry. And, you know, that didn't happen overnight, of course, for you. Uh, you've got a ton of you've got a ton of stuff in your background that that led you to this position. But I love I was listening to you on a Business Insider podcast, and they had titled it "How I Beat Out Seventy Four Men to Land My Dream Job." So let's talk about that a little bit. How did you beat out seventy four men, <laughs> men to land your dream job? Um, I don't know. Um. You know, it's funny. I didn't really think about it. I, I think that if you have a lot of passion about what you do and you work hard at it and you're committed to it, it's like all the other shit just kind of falls away. And I think this is true in the military. I think this is true in business. I think this is true in life. But I don't, you know, I feel really fortunate, which is I don't think about my gender a lot at work. Like for sure, I showed up at Barstool Sports, like we had one bathroom. I was the only girl. It was disgusting. Like there don't there were hardships, quote unquote. But, you know, I think the reason I got the job and all those guys didn't is, you know, really has nothing to do with being a woman. I think it more so had to do with I loved the brand. I lived in Boston when Dave Portnoy created it. I had a lot of passion about the commerce business and and creating, I, I was working in music before I started at Barstool and I really believed that if Justin Bieber could make you feel a certain way about a song, you might wanna wear the lyrics on a t-shirt. Like I really believed that and I spent a lot of time on it. And Barstool I thought could be the king of that or the queen of that. Like there was so much potential. There were so many funny things that Barstool was just on top of that having someone want to wear that and give you money to buy it just felt like an extension of the experience. So I think sharing that with Dave, that passion and that the, the vision and the ideas for that, as well as, you know, I didn't ask Barstool to change. I think most of the men who interviewed for the job um, are all of them really one, I was the only woman. So it's like, I, I think it was, you know, kind of freak chance I got the job anyways, but 
most of them were really conservative. And I don't mean like conservative in politics. I mean, like they wore dress, buttoned up dress shirts. They talked about their MBAs. They talked about like, like they didn't talk about the thrill and the mess and the chaos and everything. You know, I was really blunt, like things that were so stupid that Barstool was doing and also things that were so brilliant. And I just don't think anyone... You know, I think when most people interview for jobs, quite honestly, they don't get in, into the specifics enough to have a really accurate conversation. So long story short, like I'm so fortunate I got the job. I'm psyched. We've had, you know, an awesome run here. Um, but I really think that the reason I got it was that I cared more. I was willing to work harder. I didn't expect them to change or to be something that they weren't. I embraced them for who they were. Um, and I had a big vision for what they could be. Yeah. Well, I think too, you know, when you think about what uh, Dave Portnoy created at the beginning, it was, you know, it was and and still continues to be a little bit controversial, right? In mm -hmm. and And so when you're putting on your big boy pants and you're like, we're going to hire a CEO, uh, I think probably a lot of people expected to come in and say, this is how I'm going to professionalize this company. Totally. And that's not what he was probably looking for. And, you know, you guys say you're, you're kind of anti PC on purpose and it works. That's, that's part of the business model. I would imagine. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I always, for a while I wanted to mainstream Barstool. When I got to Barstool, Barstool was, really regional. It was Northeast. It was the Northeast corridor. It was Boston. It was Philly. It was New York. Um, predominantly, it was a little bit of Chicago. But what I really wanted, first and foremost, was just to legitimize them and to enable them to create more content. These guys, at the beginning, there were just guys. And then obviously, we've hired a ton of women. And we do way more than just sports and comedy at this point. But they were so funny. They had so much to say. They worked so hard. They were so earnest about what they did. And I really wanted to give them more opportunities and more places to put that. And to be honest, in my head, I was like, I'll clean them up later. Like I'll, you know, I'll professionalize this later, but we had to get there in our own way. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things I learned early on was we aren't going to mainstream through somebody else's channel. You know, it's not ESPN isn't going to be like, ooh, Barstool Sports is great. We're, we're actually going to take the opposite approach and compete with ESPN. Um, so, you know, I really think the, the biggest thing, you know, I've learned a lot from Dave in it too, which is you have to be true to yourself. You have to be authentic. You have to be, you have to be strong and fierce about who you are, what you believe in, what you want to accomplish. And you got to block out, you know, I think so, people spend so much time trying to appease the people who don't like them or who are skeptical of them or who resist them. And it's like, mm, you know, that's, I had said that from when I got to Barstool, which is I could have spent the last seven years apologizing for every single stupid, offensive, controversial, off-color thing these guys have ever said, but that wouldn't get us forward. Like that's not going to move us anywhere. And it honestly is not going to appease the people. You know, I used to say this all the time when I got to Barstool, which is Barstool's offended most everyone. So it's like, I would be a nonstop apologist if that was the path I decided to take. Right. I didn't want to take that path. And so I think that's something that applies no matter what industry you're in or what job you have or what path you want to take. 
did you ever or have you ever worried about the the phenomenon that has blown up in the past two three years of this you know this cancel culture right like you say the wrong thing or you did something 15 years ago that the tape comes out and and you're done and have you ever worried about that as it pertains to barstool i think most specifically with dave because and i think he's done a great job of being a non-apologist for the things he says the things he does and and but i mean gosh he's been people have tried to cancel him i feel like they try to cancel him every week yeah for sure i'm very um protective of dave i think dave is one of probably one of the most if not the most honest person i've ever met like to a fault like that guy will tell you exactly what he thinks whether you want to hear it or not and i think that's one of dave's honestly his best qualities and i think it's what makes him so captivating is he calls it like it is and he says it like it is and he's not he's not trying to be liked and he is not afraid of who he is good and bad you know pc and not so I've, I always worry about that kind of stuff, like the cancellation. And I think, you know, one is you got to be mindful of what you say and how you say it. And obviously media and culture and entertainment have changed so dramatically. Like if you watch a popular action movie from the year 2000, which I don't even think is that long ago, but it is, right. you'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe they're saying that. I can't believe they did that. Like, I was listening to like a 50s, oh my God, there's like this reggae remix of this, like some 50s song. And um, and it's like, if she's, oh, it's, um, shit, I'm going to forget the name. But long story short, look, there's a line in the song that if her daddy's rich, like take her out for a meal. And if her daddy's oh, yeah. What is that song? Just do what you feel. Just do what you feel. Um, what you feel. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. So, so anyway, so I was listening to that the other day and I was like, oh my god i can't believe people say that you know i can't believe people were allowed to say that people were allowed to say that so culture has changed a lot and obviously you know to your question it's gotten way more rigid and it's way more polarizing and there's so much more backlash we've really fought cancellation because we're not afraid like now when we have stupid people do stupid things which happens also very often here like there's consequence for that and we take that action and we take that very seriously when we have an opinion that we feel strongly about and we want to stand behind then we stand behind it we don't hide after we say it and i think that's a lot of what's happening now in culture is something happens and then people go hide and it's like well then just the pitchforks are going to come kill you yeah, absolutely. I I was I had just read an article uh not too long ago about the office, which is one of my all-time favorite shows. Sure. And it was like, would the office be canceled today? Would it even you, know, you couldn't make the office today? No, you couldn't make it. I mean, every episode would be so offensive. So offensive. Yeah. That's what makes it so freaking funny, right? Yeah, that's right. And so, and I think a lot of you know, with Barstool, I love the the Sunday conversations that yep. um, Caleb, I don't know his last name, but that he does. Actually, yeah. yeah, I love those. And um, I learn a lot about, you know, he has a, a lot of athletes. I don't know who yeah. they are, but I start watching these and I'm dying. I mean, they, yeah. they are so stinking hilarious. And, and I found that I think Barstool does such a good job of bringing people in to the sports world through comedy, you know? Totally. Yeah. yeah. 
totally. I'm in I would not, I would n- no, no, I would not watch, you know, a 30 second reel or a, a two minute reel yeah. on one of these athletes if it was on ESPN, because it would be very serious. It would be asking these yeah. questions. So I love the way that you guys do that. I think it's brilliant. And, um, and, you know, I think one of the things when you look at it, you know, Barstool is so multifaceted. Um, it's, I, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a sports company, right? So you start out that way, but if you look back on 2022, like what was your favorite aspect of something that you guys did this past year? Because you've grown into so much more. Yeah, told, that's a great question. I, you know, I think Caleb is just crushing it. Like Sunday Conversations, if people here haven't watched Sunday Conversations, it's hilarious. It's hosted by a guy named Caleb Presley, who has a sophisticated, juvenile, culturally relevant, kind of evil line of quite he he's very very funny it's a it's a completely I would say it's just a totally fresh interview show and what's super interesting to your point Ryan is that he's talking to Aaron Rodgers or Lil Yachty or about just stuff that you would it's so oddball it's so curved that you may not care about the Packers or football or Aaron Rodgers, but watching Aaron Rodgers squirm in his seat with, you know, a a conversation about insurance with Caleb Presley is just hilarious. So I would say Sunday conversations is without question, one of, if not the biggest breakout hit for us of 2022. Um, We have two gentlemen, Wallow and Gilly. They have a podcast based in Philadelphia called Million Dollars Worth of Game. Um, Wallow spent, I think, 17 years in prison. Gilly is his cousin who was like a one-hit wonder rap star. And they talk about life. They talk about music. They were in the office yesterday um, with Stephen A. Smith. And I'm just like, how is it possible that you know, we had an office where like, I used to take the trash out every day, like, and we just sat together in like a dungeon together. And now we have Stephen A in our office with the biggest music podcast, having a completely like open, creative, cultural conversation about sports and life and whatnot. So I'm really proud of, of all of our people, really. We have insanely talented people who work here who are doing you know, we don't have a lot of um, most traditional companies kind of to your point, most traditional media companies are like, okay, you're going to get hired. If you're a talent or personality, if it was you, Ryan, it's like, you're going to get hired to do this one show, you're going to do it this many times. And then you're going to have a producer and a producer, producer and another producer, somebody's going to tell you exactly what to wear, you're going to have a makeup person make you look exactly as you should look, that you're in a set that is exactly, you know, it's in somebody else's image. And there's a lot of people between you and the camera, and there's even more people between you and the audience. And in our world, it's just really different, which is, you know, we have Stephen A plopped in the middle of a conference room. I've got all these business people pissed off because Wallow and Gilly are taking the conference room and they have a meeting that's supposed to be in there and nobody rescheduled it. And it's like, there's one guy filming it or one girl filming it so we tend to do things really differently where we want every piece of content that people create to be in their image and of their image and of their opinion we don't get in the way of that 
what we're really good at is how do we put that into all the places we can on the internet and get as much out of it as we can in terms of having it reach people and having it connect with them. So I'm excited about all that stuff. And that's a little bit of your background in terms of mm-hmm. digital marketing and, and social yeah. innovation. So, you know, and, and that you can see that growth and how that has happened and how that's propelled um, and taken Barstool forward with yeah, definitely. Uh, on the social side, on the marketing side. Um, I want to get back a little bit to the, the idea of gender equality. And I love that you said yeah. I wasn't even thinking about the fact that I was a woman, you know, it wasn't about me being a woman, but in the past, have you ever felt um, that there's been gender equality that you faced in in this male dominated business world? Because before Barstool, you worked for many big companies. Yeah, yeah. And you know, was there any 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 time where you actually felt like this happened or didn't happen because you were a woman? Oh, totally. I mean, I it, I always say Barstool is like the least sexist place I've ever worked. Like, and the reason that I say that is, you know, look, most companies have a lot of sexism and a lot of equality issues, whether it's gender or racial or whatever it may be. M- most of it's very insidious. It, it's not talked about. It's not challenged. They're not called racist or sexist. Um, sexual harassment is like insanely, it's still to this day, insanely prevalent in business, but it's just silent. Like, it's just, you know, it, you don't talk about it. Management doesn't talk about it. Um, and I think that that's really dangerous for women and, and for minorities, frankly, in any workplace, which is when something is known, but not talked about is really the most dangerous place and time. And I went through a lot of that in, in my career. I mean, I, I had like a horrible sexual harassment issue with a client when I was in my twenties and I worked at an ad agency and I was afraid to lose the account. You know, it was a big account for the ad agency. I didn't want to say anything. I felt like maybe I did something wrong that like brought that on, like all that shit. So, you know, what I would say is that I think, um, I think it's gotten a lot better for women at work. I think there are more and more examples of women leading and thriving and bringing other women along uh, along with them. Um, I think women executives are torn down more than men. They're punished publicly more than men. They're criticized more than men. Um, They're belittled more than men. I do think it's a great sign that you are seeing more and more women out there. And I want, you know, every, really every person, but certainly women to be wickedly successful in what they do. And then I think the bigger thing is, you know, if you're, you know, I was always about the work and, you know, for me, it was just always about the work. Like I was going to outwork anybody I worked with. I didn't care what color, gender, sex, orientation, personality they had. Like, I was just going to outwork you. Um, And that for me was important because it meant that I could hide in the work and focus on the work when all the other kind of bullshit stuff was happening. So, you know, for me, I think for women, it's like, you got to be strong. You got to also check yourself. You know what I mean? Like you got to have a thick skin. You got to call it like you see it. You've got to have, you got to be able to execute. Um, And then when when you're being mistreated or you feel like you're being denied an opportunity, 
you need to say something and you don't need to like go pound on the table and scream and make a fuss. Like there is a way to address inequity that is super rational and very, you know, um, professional, like you can address it professionally. And if it doesn't get addressed, then you need to do something about it. You either leave, you take action, you do, you know, so it's like, I try to be like really logical on that stuff, which is, you know, it's going to happen. You know, you're going to encounter it in your career. What are you going to do about it? And how are you going to manage it? Um, you know, the biggest thing I think I talk about this a lot, um, and I'm writing a lot on it is that I think what's really hard for women in particular is you tend to put yourself in the, what I would call the gray. Like, I think for women, you, you can kind of find yourself in a little bit of a gray situation kind of easily, right? Where, and I don't know if you've experienced this, Ryan, but like, okay, you're supposed to do a presentation. The presentation turns into coffee, the presentations with a bunch of people, it turns into coffee or to drinks with you and the person who's usually a man who has other designs, um, you know, a text conversation that starts out as work turns into something that's like work adjacent. Um, so I think, you know, the biggest thing I think for women to be aware of is that there are always people who are going to want to put you in a gray situation where it, there's ambiguity and there's nuance and there's possibility. And it's really it's at that moment more than any other moment where you need to be alert and kind of vigilant about what do you want from this and what what do you think you're going to get out of this now look so you may have a guy who you work with who's hitting on you and you want to hook up with that guy and like fine do it like you know don't do anything illegal be sure it's consensual blah 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 but there are also situations where you know you're treading down a path that has meaning that you may not be comfortable with right. or that is not your intention to get out of the environment of the situation. And you've got to, you really have to arm yourself in that environment. And I think that's important for women. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a lot of younger women that are coming into the workforce and they're getting, you know, their, their first job. And sometimes it's their dream job and, you know, they're, they're conflicted, right? So yeah. put in this situation, it's like, well, am I going to throw all of this away? for this yeah. situation, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, It's tough. And, you know, I think the other thing just to remember is like your career is going to be really long and it's going to take all sorts of turns and you're going to get this dream job that, that maybe isn't your dream job. And that can be kind of devastating. Like my dream job was to be a CMO. I got the CMO job at AOL and I was like, oh my God, I hate this job. Um, <laughs> and I was like, fuck, what have I done? You know? Um, and it was disappointing to me. It was kind of devastating because I had like killed myself to get that job. And then I got it and I was like, I don't want this. Um, so that's okay too. And then you pivot and maybe the pivot isn't right, but you, something good will come out of it. And you have to believe in yourself and have hope and faith in yourself that that will work out. Yeah. We just, um, you know, again, I, I, I talk a lot about me personally when I took over, um, the Travis Manning foundation. So my mom started the organization. My brother was killed in 2007. My mom started the organization and really we saw it. 
it's it's funny because I look at a lot of the correlations between Barstool. We were this local Northeast nonprofit, right? We were in Philly. We were moving up a little bit into the New York area, but like, that's what we were. We were Philly, Jersey, New York, and huh? we we're going to support veterans, families of fallen service members in and around this area. And um, I was like, this is great for my mom. She was a military spouse her entire life. This was at you know, 52 years old, she was finding her career. And Mm -hmm. it was was awesome to see that she was channeling the loss of my brother into that. Um, She gets sick. uh, She passes away. And the board of directors is like, Ryan, we need you. I was in fashion. I graduated from college and I ran two small clothing, uh, high-end clothing boutiques in New Jersey and in Philadelphia. And that's what I, I had taken out a small business loan before I'd even graduated from college. I knew exactly what I was doing. And so not only did I change industries, but now I was running a, you know, my businesses, I had a few young girls that worked for me. It was like a little family. And now it was like, here, you're up. And at this point, the organization had started to grow exponentially. So mm-hmm. um, we took it from at, you know, we were about 12, 13 employees at the time when I took over. We're now at close to 80 employees and we are 75% female at our mm-hmm. veteran, you know, run company. Yep. And it's awesome to see. Now our, our CEO is, our COO is a retired Marine that we always joke he has to deal with all the women. Right. Yeah. But I will never forget. I shared this story when I, when I talked to some companies about like business or women empowerment and I went down, I was invited to a round table at the white house and they were invited, invited all the large veteran service organization leaders down there. And I went down there. And when you go to a meeting at the White House, you'll depending on what room you're in, most of them are large conference rooms. And then they have chairs that are lined up at the on the walls of the room. Yep. And that's where all the that's where all the executive assistants sit, you know. Yeah, the aides sit. Yeah. Aides, whoever you brought to take your notes and hold your water. Sure. And I walked in and you know, two strikes against me. Um, I'm new. So nobody knows I've just been invited via email to attend this. And my name's Ryan. So I walk <laughs> into the room and I can see my placard on the table, Ryan Mannion. I'm like, there's me. And as soon as I walked in, the person turned to me and they're like, oh, you can take a seat over here and pointed me to the chairs at the wall. Oh. And I was like, no, I'm going to be sitting right there. That's me. And, you know, I laughed about it. I didn't take it at this, but you know, I couldn't wait to go home and be like, they thought I was sitting against the wall. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But it was like, it was that really for, it was that perfect idea of like getting the seat at the table. You know, women always talk about like, how do we get a seat at the table? And and a lot of times I'm saying, you just got to sit at it, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to always wait to be invited to that table. I see that a lot with women that, they're waiting for that opportunity for somebody to ask. And you, you, you talked about that as well. Like, instead of asking, like share, like work hard enough that you're automatically going to have that seat at the table. Yeah, that's right. Totally. That's such a good story. That's so funny. Um, Yeah. I think that women do tend to wait. There's like something like that just holds you a little bit of like, like that pause and that pause just kills you. Like you can't take that pause. Um, and I think that, you know, I don't know where that comes from. Like I was having a conversation 
I was having two conversations really randomly this week, one with a financial expert and one with Lo Bosworth, who's created this like insanely successful health company after starring on the Hills. And they both were saying that women basically are just like, I know this is a stupid question, but um, whether it's related to your health or whether it's related to your money. And it's like, I don't know where this comes from. And maybe the, maybe younger generation of women and, you know, like my daughter, young women won't have it, but like this, like, I'm scared to ask this. It's like, you know, I remember working, I worked with AT&T and um, AT&T had this really brilliant guy. Um, his name was Vance. And what was brilliant about Vance, Vance was a Southerner and, you know, he had a drawl and he was, you know, very genteel and gentlemanly or whatever. And he always pretended he was so stupid. He was always like, I don't think I really understand. And it was so brilliant because he intentionally was like, help me. Like, I don't think I'm following. He would pretend to be stupid to get you to say more. And then ultimately he'd kill you at the end. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) but women can use that. Like, don't be afraid to ask a stupid question. Don't be afraid to sit in a seat. That's not really, you're not ready to sit in. And that may not be yours. Um, And then the other thing, you know, like I talk about this all the time, which is, I think one of the things that happens to people at work and you know, look, in your situation, your family had a, you know, a heartbreaking tragedy and so many military families and just families in general have tragedies. And I think one of the things that's so special about what you're doing is I think a lot of people in life just try to avoid pain. Like they just try to avoid the catastrophe or the upending of everything. And you know what? Like it fucking happens. Like maybe somebody gets killed in the line of duty. Maybe your parents get divorced. Maybe somebody has cancer. Like it's like shit happens. And what I love about your mom and what I love about you is you're like, all right, we're going to like suit up and figure out how to do this. Like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, you're like, I'm just going to figure it out. And you figured it out. Yeah. And that's kind of it, which is you just got to figure it out. You're going to screw up every single day. You're not going to get things right. You're definitely going to look stupid. Um, people are going to say you're not qualified, like just assume all of that is like check, check, check. That's fact. But the other thing with it that I think is so important for women in particular, just people who want to move up is like, do the jobs that nobody else wants. Like I always find when I go to big companies, like everybody's chasing the boss, like everybody wants the limelight, like you want to be petted by someone who has more power or authority or money than you. And I always was like, I don't want to compete with everyone else to get petted. That seems so annoying. And I don't think the person who's petting people is that great anyways. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to go work on the trash. Like, And I think working on the trash is sometimes like a really good way or at least thinking about that of like, take the projects nobody else wants, take the job that is not sexy that everybody else isn't fighting for. Because for women in particular, it's a great way to like, it's a great way to advance and it's a great way to move forward with less competition. If you're insecure, you're worried about somebody being better than you, go take the stuff that nobody wants and show that you're better, get more confident, get more experience. And I think that can really help. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I, we, I was just having a conversation with a a group of female leaders at, at my organization talking about, you know, um, a lot of our younger coordinators right away are saying like, how do we move up? 
how, how, you know, what comes next? And I'm like, they're like, well, what guidance can we give them? I'm like, the guidance you give them is grow where your seed is planted. Like, show us that you are knocking it out of the park in this, and and that's it. Like lean into that trash, right? Like lean into like where this is your job and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z around that to show that I'm this beautiful sunflower that put in a different pot, you know? And so, um, but I, I, I look at a lot of the young females that, that work for me and I love how hungry they are. I, I think it's so awesome. And, and it's very different, you know, uh, it's very different from when I was, when I grad, I graduated from college in 2004 and it was just, again, I went into business myself. I was like, I, I don't want to deal with the corporate world. This is what I'm going to do. I had a passion for it, but even entering into the veteran space, which is, you know, we're nonprofits, but nonprofit is business. I'm running a mm-hmm. business. Totally. And, um, you know, right from the very beginning, I was like, wow, like this, there was a lot of, lot of things that I learned, a lot of cutthroat totally. practices that were happening. And, you know, you think you're in it for the good. We're all here to help the veteran community. Well, there's a lot of shitty people that are helping yeah. the community, right? So totally. navigate all of that. And um, it, it's it's been very interesting to watch uh, over the past 15 years, you know, and just navigate that road and, and get to the place where I finally feel like I can help mentor other young women that are sure. in the workforce. Yeah, totally. I think that there's, you know, women now are so different than, you know, when I was getting out of college or when you were getting out of college, like, I think you're right. I think it's a chaps who's um, one of our hosts of zero blog 30 always says bloom where you're planted, which is a much, much nicer, better. I think it's Colin Powell, right? Like I, somebody famous said it, yeah. but um, I think it's a much nicer way of saying, take out the trash. But, um, but there is something to that. I think one of the things that's tough for people right now is that we're inundated with lifestyle on Instagram, on TikTok, on wherever it may be. And all, all people spend time doing is scrolling. So there's like the doom scroll of everybody else's fabulous life, who they're with, what they're wearing, how skinny they are, like how fabulous everything looks, blah, blah, blah. Um, and there's something, you know, that the, the Instagramification, I guess, of everything is that all you see is that like finished product, right? Or the contoured face or the, you know, the post diet or whatever it may be. Careers aren't like that. Like you're not going to get the like, up. Oh, you're tomorrow you're promoted, right? right? Which is, and I feel like that is, that's going to be a hardship for young people that like, let's say I didn't have, I wasn't burdened with that because when I got to work, it was like, you're going to toil in the basement for as long as longer than you think is humanly possible. You're going to sit there. You're going to take it. You're going to hate it. The more you hate it, the better off it is. You should feel good about that. And then at some point, somebody's going to give you some crack of opening of a door and you got to push your way through it. So I think what's hard for young people is like, you got to sit in your job for a while. You got to be great at your job. And the, and the reality is you want to be great at your job because what I, what I spend a lot of time dealing with is the people who, who moved up too fast or who got that promotion right when they asked for it or when they wanted, wanted it, but maybe weren't totally ready or qualified for it. And the more you get promoted and the less qualified you are, 
the bigger and harder the fall is going to be once you get to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that, that there's a danger in that. Like, obviously I want everybody to advance. People should make more money. They should have more responsibility. They should do more things, but you've got to, you've got to really build substance underneath that in addition to getting the accolade and the reward for it. And I think that's really important to always be learning always be putting yourself in situations where you have to figure stuff out, being honest when you don't know things like that's my other, like, that makes me fucking crazy. I deal with this all the time. Like it's actually one of the things I love most about Dave is, you know, when I first met Dave, I expected to find this like blustery, arrogant guy who was like, I know everything. Dave was like, Oh, I, I don't know anything about what you do. Like, why don't, why don't you come here? I, I know, I know how to be funny. I know how to make stuff for the internet. I have no idea. And also I have no interest in what that piece of it. Why don't you come do that? I think saying, I don't know is one of the most empowering things there is because then you motivate people to teach you. And sometimes I think that at work, it's it's easy to, to try to want to look good and pretend you know things that you don't. And when you do that, you still look stupid because everybody knows you don't know it. And then you don't ever get the answer. Yeah, totally. I, you know, and I, I talk a lot when, when I'm, I, you, you talked a lot about when you were starting and, and I, I always find myself feeling like I'm that um, parent that talks about how they w- had to walk 10 miles in the snow. To oh, like both ways. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's true. Like things yeah. were a little bit different. Like you yeah. felt like you had to like, and I think it is a lot of it has to do with social media uh, yeah. and, and, and the role that social media plays in all of mm-hmm. our kids worlds and, and yeah. people's worlds. It is, it's a, this crazy phenomenon that frankly has changed how we perceive everything. totally you know and yourself yeah Yeah. oh absolutely um I I watch you know Bethany Frankel gets a ton of shit for um because she she has something to say about everyone Uh, um but I think she's great at again and she's another one she's a little bit like Dave Portnoy where like she says things that someone else could certainly get canceled for but she's how she's non-apologetic for it right very like no, that's what I said. That's what I meant. And, but she also, I, she keeps it very real on her social media to the mm. point where I'm like, Ooh, you might need a filter on there. Right. Like yeah, you, yeah, totally. kind of like age in front of your face. And she came on a few weeks ago and she's like, yeah, you know, um, here I am. I'm in a plastic surgeon's office because yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think I'm going to need a little facelift here soon. And I'm, I love that because, you yeah. know, there's a thousand other women, her age, her stature that are going and getting that, that facelift yeah. and they're just yeah. showing back up on social media. And we yeah, all- that's right. Looking yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk about sports a little bit. So okay. you, you played sports in high school and college. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Okay. So, you know, one of the things, again, I had said to you when we talked was I was so excited when I saw that you had joined the board at PLL and um, professional lacrosse league. For those who don't know, Paul Rabel runs it. And, you know, I'm a big, I come from a big lacrosse family. Uh, I played lacrosse in college. My dad played lacrosse in college. My brother left, my brother was recruited to wrestle at the Naval Academy went to the Naval Academy and um, he actually dropped out of the Naval Academy after his, his first year, halfway through his freshman year, 
he was like, this sucks. I hate it. I, I, I'm not doing this. Not for me. Yeah. And he, um, went to Drexel and he was, he was all state in lacrosse in high school. Um, okay. But, and he walked on to the Drexel lacrosse team and played, uh, started as a freshman on the varsity team for Drexel for one year and then decided that he made it the biggest mistake of his life and he needed to go back to the Naval Academy. So <laughs> I like, I say that because we all played lacrosse in college. My yep. daughter just uh, committed to play lacrosse in college division one. And, um, you know, I'd love to know from you uh, what you think about the role that sports plays in, you know, in your, in the professional world and how you move forward. Because I always say like, I've got three kids. They all have very different uh skill levels in athletics and my two my you know my oldest is going d1 but my other two are younger it's yet to be seen if they're going to yeah yeah but regardless i'm going to push them to play athletics for as long and as far as they can in their career path and and yeah totally it's not because i want them to play sports so much but because i know the fundamentals that playing yeah teach them It's so funny. I struggle with this all the time because I have two kids who are, I was like a maniac about playing sports. I I loved sports. Most everything I know, I feel like was the foundation was built in playing team sports. Um, And my kids are like, eh, like, you know, you know, my son's a lacrosse goalie. So like, all right, that's good. My daughter is like googly eyes playing lacrosse, which is fine. But, um, I think that, you know, so here's what I would say. I, I think that athletics and being part of a team, you just learn so much from that. You learn how to lose. I think learning how to lose is awesome. Um, you learn how to get hurt. You learn how to pass the ball. You learn how to um, connect with people on the bus ride. Like the connecting with the, the bus rides are the single best part of sports, in my opinion. Like connecting with other, the, the notion of a team, the identity of a team, um, the idea of practice and getting up and doing the same thing in the rain and the sun and like, and all of it. And I, you know, and the idea of learning something, applying yourself to it and getting better at it. Like I'm all in on that. I agree with you 1 billion percent that like sports are such an amazing way to deliver that, deliver that those values to someone or to kind of in, you know, indoctrinate those values into someone, which, you know, in in a lot of ways, I think the military is a little bit similar in that it's, you know, it teaches you discipline, it teaches you order, it teaches you hierarchy, it teaches you hardship, like resilience, you know? Um, And I think a lot of the things that sports does teach you is resilience. And, and that's important. I think you can learn it from other places as well. You can learn it from the drama club. You can learn it from this, you can learn from that. Um, but I really, you know, I think that sports, you know, sports are so captivating. It's beautiful to watch. There's suspense and drama and action and tragedy. And, you know, I, I really feel fortunate to work in sports. You know, I, we put on the Arizona Bowl. We did the Arizona Bowl at, um, at, you know, almost on December 30th. So right before New Year's Eve, which was Wyoming and um, Ohio University. It was awesome. Um, because it, we did sports the bar stool way, which it was funny. It was a great game. It was comical. It was serious. It was a rivalry. So, you know, I love that. And I think the more you can encourage, the more you can encourage yourself to push yourself. And I think there's also something to pushing yourself physically. 
um, is, you know, or if you have kids to push your, push themselves. I think that's super important. Like I learned how to play ho- ice hockey maybe four years ago. Um, and I taught myself, I had a coach, like I taught, I figured out how to play ice hockey and you know, what's awesome about it is it was hard and it was like, I sucked. Yeah. And then it, I got a little bit better and I got a little bit better. And then I was able to play games and then, you know, so I think it's, it's that journey and the, like, try to learn something completely suck at it. Um, try to do something completely stink at it, get a little bit better, apply yourself to it and then see where you go with it. That applies to work and that applies to life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I loved the watching the Arizona bowl. Um, I thought that was so great that you guys had, had, that was so fun. Taken a bowl a my, my eight-year-old, he's a football fanatic. Um, he plays okay. football, but he's obsessed with all things football. So every day over the Christmas break, he was like, what, what bowl games on today? Every oh, that's day. so cute. Yeah, what bowl games on today? And he was dying. And I can't remember, you'll know the, the one kid you talk about how you're the way you guys approach it is like comical. You know, you, br- you bring a different flavor than you're watching any yeah. other bowl game, but yeah. there was the one kid on the team. His number was 69, but what was his name? Um, on the Ohio team. Do you remember that? Oh, I know who you're talking about. Um, keep going. I'll try well, to think of this. He, he had a, he had a, a name that like matched up with the number 69. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then Caleb is interviewing the dad and, you know, I mean, the kid went viral, the player That's went so viral, funny, yeah. but it, it was just Travis. My son was cracking up. He was crap. That's so funny. Yeah. Yep. He got a big kick out of, not that he knows what 69, the, the 69. Yeah, but it's still, it seems funny. Right. Yep. Like he got a kick out of like this game actually being funny. You know, the yep. guy ran yep. out on the field and they had to tackle yep. him. Yeah, exactly. Like all of that, yep. all of that pomp and sir, like he was cracking up at it. So. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad he liked it. That's awesome. Yeah, and that was a big thing for you guys to be able to get to that. Definitely. Point. Yeah. Definitely. That was big. I love it. Um, okay. So I always end uh, every uh, conversation with a little conversation on resilience. So okay. um, a lot of people are new to the concept of resilience and what it means. And, but I always say like uh, everybody has learned resilience at some point in their life. And um, do you ever think about what resilience means in your personal life? Is it something that you reflect on? Is it something that you practice? And then um, in the same sense, is it something that you try to bring into the culture at Barstool? So let's start with you personally. Yeah, um, I think I'm highly resilient um, and have had to be. And in cha- I think the other thing about life is that you kind of, what you're resilient, your resiliency builds over time. The more you put yourself out there, the more you experience the more you try and fail, the more resilient you're going to become. And I feel grateful that, that I think compared to some people, I have no resilience. I think compared to other people, I have a lot of resilience, but I do feel like I've, I try to put myself out there. I try very hard. I work very hard. I give a lot. Um, And in doing that, you, you fail sometimes and you do things, you know, you succeed in others, but mostly you learn and learning helps you become more resilient. It builds your stamina, it builds your strength, it builds your focus. So, um, and nothing is perfect, right? Like, you know, I think it's so easy to, I think there's two things in life that are very easy. It's like, it's easy to assume people don't have any problems or it's easy to 
just attack and criticize people for not being perfect. And the reality is, is like, nobody's perfect. Everybody has problems. We should all have a little bit more empathy to one another and how you get through that. But ultimately you have to have empathy for yourself and you have to build this strength inside of you if you want to stay vibrant for a long time. So I think about that all the time. Um, and I try to get better at it every day. Um, I, I try, I, I try to always get better at that. I think at Barstool, we have a lot of resilience. We have a lot of grit, um, because we had to build this ourselves and nobody wanted to help us. And mostly people didn't want to help us. So the nature of like the pirate ship and like, everybody's got to row the oars. Everybody's got to make the meal. Sometimes we throw people over the sides. Like <laughs> sometimes we're in a fight, you know what I mean? So, um, I think Barstool has a very resilient culture. It also has a culture. Another thing I love about the military is that there is a very, you know, it's tribal. It's yeah. you're part of something. And I think the difference in Barstool versus really most media companies uh, and companies in general is that it, it it is tribal. It feels like you are part of something that stands for something. And I think that's that's really important. It's easier to be resilient if you feel part of something. Totally. Um, and I think that's super important. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of, uh, one of, uh, my guests on the podcast was, uh, he's, he's the vice chairman of our board of directors. He's a former chairman of the joint chiefs general. Yeah. And, um, and when I asked him about resiliency, he said, you can't be resilient and be alone. You know, yeah, you that's right. You can't be resilient alone. Like, and yeah. the military is all about camaraderie. It's yeah. so, and and that's why a lot of our our service members when they take off that uniform, they're struggling a little bit because they lose. Oh, it's that, so alienating. Yeah, they lose that team. They lose yeah. that that camaraderie that they felt in the military, and then they also lose that sense of being a part of something bigger than themselves. Yeah, right. That's right. So. Yeah. That's the community that we try to give back at the Travis Manning Foundation to our veteran members. And, you know, and I think I want to thank you guys publicly. I mean, we thanked you, but you guys came in, you sponsored our Army Navy tailgate. We had 4,000 individuals come to that awesome. tailgate. It was fantastic. I love how much Dave gets into it, though. Um, he's a West, he roots for West Point. We have to <laughs> talk about that, but, um, but it's, it's a great camaraderie. And I think he feels that like, I could see that when he was at our tailgate that yeah. he really loved being there. Like, I think oh, he likes it. we love the military. We, yeah. we, we love veterans and hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I want to thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed learning a little bit more about you and, you know, the way you approach business and it's just been awesome. So awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Time. And while you were talking, you're talking about resilience and it pops into my head. His name was Titsworth, 69. Oh, yes. <laughs> Titsworth, no. And I'm sitting there going, why am I thinking about this when she's talking about resilience? But <laughs> he was funny. Um, you guys do awesome stuff and not just uh, with Barstool itself, but everything you do outside to, to help, you know, organizations like us getting out there, Barstool Fund, all of it. There's so much more to talk about, but- awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. Erica, thanks again. Thank you. We'll see you later, Ryan.